Owning your opinions as opinions is key to good debate. If you're, as a leader, positioning your opinions as the truth to further your agenda, it's going to simply discourage debate and discourage people sharing their concerns. So owning your perspective and speaking objectively will encourage collaboration and encourage debate. I'm Jason Gore, and I'm here with executive coach Robert McNaughton. Thanks, Jason. This is a, a foundational communication and leadership practice that uh, is really insidious in how humans communicate. And I think so many people aren't aware of how often they are smuggling assertions about the truth into everything that they say and the impact that that's having on their relationships. Mm -hmm. And it really puts the other person in a difficult situation. The goal usually, right, is to get to the best out possible outcome, at least in a business context. Like right. we want to come up with the best possible decision. But when you're positioning your, these assertions as truths, then it's difficult for people to actually get into the good debate because now they're debating your assertion. Like it's almost like they have to deal with you as a person and, and an interpersonal issue as well as the topic at hand. Um, and so what tends to happen is that the debates tend to get muddled in yep. confusion um, versus if you, you know, rather than smuggling in assertions, if you just point to the data that proves your point and then own your perspective, given this data, my assumption and perspective is this, right? People can then question the data or show you other data and, and lead to other conclusions, but it really can generate a very healthy debate, which is what most of my clients want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, what we're talking about here from my perspective is that like there's a natural tendency as humans to speak absolutely and to make kind of like big, vague generalizations about things and uh, driven by our emotions, uh, especially, and especially when things tend to es escalate. And what we're recommending here and what we're saying works better is acknowledging that all of our opinions are just merely our perspectives and the mm -hmm. more that we can back it up as such and with data we're actually using language efficiently as mm -hmm. opposed to uh, creating additional challenge yeah i mean the ideal right is hey this is the data i see this is the object the, the what i'm looking at we could we could let's get clear on that given that this is my perspective and given that, this is the decision I would like to make. And you know, at any point in that chain, I might have flawed thinking, but if I do something like, well, isn't it obvious? Like given that every customer is complaining, we need to do this. Right. And it's like, well, first of all, is every customer complaining? Like odds are they're not. How many customers are complaining? Which customers? Do we want those customers? Like, and then, Jumping to we have to do that. Well, do we? What are we prioritizing? What's what's the stuff in between the data and the decision to get you there? Like, yeah. like we want to unpack this by owning our opinions and owning our perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'll go so far as to say just, this is just irresponsible, lazy communication that all humans <laughs> suffer from. You know, on our on our bad days and through most of our lives. But it's like when we say things like, oh, the, you know, well, I mean, don't you know the company's failing? You know, as opposed to saying it's like, yeah, you know, no, 
like I'm concerned because we didn't hit our sales targets for the past two cycles in a row. And, you know, I've heard from the payroll people that they're a little worried about things like mm-hmm. getting into the actual objective data on things. We can actually have a productive conversation. Yep. Now, one thing that really helps, by the way, is knowing who's going to actually own the decision. Is this a group decision? Is this a decision I could make? And then we could actually, you know, figure out whose needs actually have to be met and whose other needs have to be understood, but maybe not met, depending on who owns the decision. Um, That's always helpful here. But when it's a group decision, which is usually oftentimes when it's a group decision, this is where this particular practice is arising. Um, And by kind of these unilateral pushy moves, it really not only closes off debate, but it also just creates a... uh, just a mucky feeling in an executive team or team leadership setting. Yeah. Where it's like, why are we here? It's, like, a, it's, it's, it's a combative environment, so might call it a toxic workplace. But, you know, the, the essential thing here is the cost of when leaders aren't demonstrating and role modeling this well is there's going to be more conflict. There's going to be more defensive self-righteousness between people and like debating against each other when we're not actually um, engaged with reality. Well, yes, that's all true. But I think for the most part, people's intentions are good here. They're actually trying to do the best thing for the company. They're, they have a strong opinion and they're pushing for it. It's the manner in which they're doing it closes down debate is intended to close down debate, right? rather than open up debate because they want to get to the decision quickly or they want to get to their decision quickly. Um, so the, usually the intentions are good, but that toxicity is a byproduct that really people don't intend or don't anticipate and likely they don't see. Yes. All right. So what's getting in the way here? Like, you know, when, when I'm speaking and I'm not speaking, the uh, way I like to talk about this is am I speaking inarguably? right? Mm-hmm. Or am I speaking in a way that actually you could have a different opinion about, especially if it's about you and what you're bringing to the table? Yes. And, you know, in, in conflict settings where, you know, two people are at the table that have different needs, different ideas, and there's tension in the room, um, there's a tendency to position opinions as the truth. Right. Um, there's, because, right, you kind of feel like you're on opposing sides of the table and the mind gets trapped in its own biases. Like, of course, this is the only answer. And of course, this is the only important data. And we tend to overestimate or over, uh, over-exaggerate. You know, every once in a while, I catch myself exaggerating. And, you know, I have to take like a humble pill and say, in that moment, I try to say, whoops, let me, I just exaggerated that. Let me correct that. Right, exactly. So it's not every customer that's complaining, but today we had three customers that are complained and I'm, I'm worried that, that it's a trend. Right, yeah. Um, it's like, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I was like, okay, you know, I'm being a little hyperbolic there. It's like, well, let's, let's get a little more clear about this. Yep. And the other thing is we want to make data-driven decisions. And by the way, if this is coming from the bottom up, you know, that person is going to get a reputation for kind of, you know, waving the red flag in a way that's not exactly grounded. Um, there's all sorts of expressions, you know, it's not necessarily crying wolf, but it's like, you know, it, it's kind of over dramatic. Like this is the only thing, this is the only way. It tends to be a very pushy way to go. And from above, you know, a leader is going to be like, well, show me the data. 
yeah. happy to make, uh, you know, and if they do make a decision based on an assumption that turns out to be false, it really doesn't make the person that took this action and positioned their opinion as the truth look good in any way at all. It really discredits them. Yeah. Well, so, you know, speaking of like, how can leaders uh, do this well? And, you know, for me, it's, it's primarily in holding the mindset that my opinions are merely just that. They're my opinions, they're my perspectives, they're based on the data that I have. So I have to know that there's no such thing as an absolutely true opinion about anything. We're always partially right, we're always partially wrong. And in practice, what that looks like, you know, I remember being taught in grade school, like use I statements, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, uh, like say things that's like, well, uh, like I think that this is happening, but of course, you know, there's ways that I can smuggle assumptions in even doing that. So we have to go a little bit farther. And the way I say it, um, like I said before, it's like, how can I speak inarguably such yes. that, you know, with what I say, there is no way to say that, that that's incorrect because I've owned the data so specifically. Yeah. And, you know, this shows up in family environments. It shows up in relationships. Like the more that we can do that, the more we're going to be able to navigate conflict in, in an effective way. Because like if I, you know, say, well, Robert, you didn't show up and you promised you'd show up, right? It feels like a personal attack. Whereas if I say, like, what's the inarguable thing? I thought we were supposed to meet at five o'clock. Right. I waited outside and it was raining till 5.30 and then I left, I feel like, you know, stood up and I'm pretty upset and I'm cold right now. You know? <laughs> so I can feel appropriately guilty, but not uh, like that I, you know, on attack for something that uh, I, I may or may not think I, we had agreement about. And now maybe it turns out that you had it in the calendar for tomorrow and right. like we could discover that. But if I say, Robert, you stood me up and you go and you defend yourself. No, no, we have it on for, you know, for 530 tomorrow. What are you talking about? Like, Don't blame me that you stood out in the, in the <laughs> parking lot. What kind of person stands outside in the rain? You know, we could, we could debate on and on if yeah. we're in an offensive kind of self-righteous place. But that's, that's not how we want to collaborate. Uh, and in the corporate or in business context, you know, it tends to, that, that blame and that anger tends to go underground. It tends to show up as resentment. It tends to come out in, in debates that just don't really um, grow and expand, but kind of collapse because it's like, well, what's the point of debating if you're not open and you're just trying to prove your point by collecting all this biased information and spewing it out as assessments? It's, you know, it's not that bad, but it, for some people who are um, unwilling to go there and, you know, East Coast style Kung Fu debate, um, it's going to close things down. Certainly. Yeah. It's, and it's certainly not going to foster more contributions from the ones that can't, uh, you know, throw their hat in the ring, you know, um, all the time. Um, mm -hmm. It's not going to allow for a space where we can be in relaxed co-creation and, and collaboration like we want. So when this is done well, right, when we are pushing for a point, um, in my opinion, there's, a, there's an order of things. One, say your point. You know, so often in non-business contexts, it's appropriate to lead, you know, lead the horse to water and get them to drink, like go slowly. In a business context, share your bias, right, right. right off the bat. This is what I think is the best solution here. And then share the data, like go right back to the fundamentals, the the objective thing, because if you do that, 
what you could reveal very early is if your data isn't correct or incomplete. Like yeah. you get clear on the data that you're working from. From there, what are the assumptions? What are the biases? What are the things that you're prioritizing, right? And from there, you're going to make an action-based decision. If you share things in that order, it really actually fosters very productive debate because maybe you made the wrong action or you made the wrong decision, but is it because your data was wrong? Is it because your assumptions were wrong or because your priorities are wrong? And by leading people through that chain, we could then make a decision and learn very quickly if we made the wrong decision or double down if we made the right one. Right. Yeah. We got to bring people onto our ride with us. And, you know, I'll, I'll raise the bar and say there's, there's some nuanced artistry points to this that if like, if you're upset about this and like really seeing yourself like, uh, you know, feeling kind of self-righteous and absolute about it, you can say that too. But like you're saying, start with the data, start with the objective, inarguable truth. And then you can say, it's like, yeah, and I find myself getting pretty upset about it, you know, just so people, you know, can, can tease that apart. Um, and that, that's how you'll get better and better at this. You know, Robert, I, I'm noticing kind of both of us are using our outdoor voices in, in this recording. Like we're both speaking kind of loudly and we're both passionate about this. I'm really curious why, why this is so passionate for you. <laughs> well, in hearing you say that, I'm noticing I want to punch you. No, I'm, like th- this is a this is a, a something that I've seen so much impact my own life, so much in the people that I work with that they just don't see that the simple way that they're using their language is negatively impacting each other. I mean, really, when I'm doing conflict negotiation, whether that's in corporate setting or in couples settings. This is really what's happening. People are just using their words in a way that's stoking the flame inappropriately. Yeah. It's uh, almost not even what you're trying to say. It's how you're saying it. For me, it's just painful to watch. Like when I watch a leader not have this blind spot and they can't necessarily see what they're doing or the impact it has, all they're trying to do is get the group to make the best possible decision and then they can't figure out why everybody is resenting them when the decision gets made and like they had an opportunity to speak up. That's right. But they, they literally just don't see that they're actually digging their own hole um, and preventing people from con- contri- contributing to the decision process or to de-escalating uh, a situation. Yeah. So, I mean, really the, my recommendation for, you know, experimenting with this, for taking this into your life in an effective way is watch how you're speaking. See how often you are making statements that could be argued with, that are absolute um, and assertive, and see if there's another way to say that that is actually more specific and in uh, relationship with reality. Yeah, and to say that in a slightly different way, I would say be objective. Now, Mm -hmm. one thing is that feelings are objective. That's right. I am angry. Right now, I might be angry for a whole bunch of wrong reasons, but I'm angry or I'm upset. That's or I'm sad. Like, you know, Robert can't say, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I am. Now, my story that led to that might be wrong. But, but the more we could, be, we could own our experience, the more we can own our pers- pers- uh, perspective, own our feelings, own the assumptions that we're making or the things that we're prioritizing to get us where we are um, really can lead to a productive conversation um, yeah. versus when we – throw our assessments in as facts, it tends to shut down the conversation. 
Yeah, th th this is a tricky one. Like there's a lot of artistry to this, like simple things of saying things like, well, you know, you're angry right now and therefore da 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 da. Like we can't skip steps there. We need to be uh, very conscientious about this. And it's just like, well, you seem angry. Is that true? Check that out first and then go on to the rest of the conversation mm -hmm. before uh, we just smuggle in these assumptions and make mm -hmm. things worse. So the key takeaway here is, to speak your opinions, but own your perspectives when, when their perspectives are not as the truth. And it's really essential to encourage collaboration and to de-escalate conflict. Really good stuff, Jason. This is a lifelong practice. Yep, and no doubt about that, Robert. I think we'll be practicing this one for years to come. To the leaders out there, we hope this conversation has been helpful.